Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a mostly mixed trading day on Monday as we start off WASDI week. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. And again, this week ahead, we have the January World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report the WASDI report coming up on Thursday, typically a very big report from USDA and no doubt will be a big one again this year. A lot of traders will be watching that report closely and really probably here all week long. We're going to be preparing for that report coming up on Thursday. We saw some of that in the market trade on the day on Monday, a little bit of just firm trade, a little bit of uh, positioning here as we start off the week after we had a really volatile week and a really uh, a rough week to the downside last week in commodities. We're going to talk markets coming up in segment two and three today. Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing is going to join us to give us market analysis coming up here on the show today. And joining us now as we talk about the weather forecast here for the week ahead and maybe a bit of a pattern change coming up. We're joined by our good friend Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient. Eric, happy new year to you. Good to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a it's been an interesting start to the new year. And you're right about the pattern change because the the end of December versus the beginning of January felt like two entirely different things, right? We finished the year with mm-hmm. this massive Arctic outbreak and then we started it off with really mild weather. And then there's been just onslaught of flow coming into the West United States off of an extended jet that's just soaked California. And they got another week of this coming through. In fact, if you just think about the overall drought picture of the United States, we've seen reductions in the eastern corner. We've seen the reductions in the southern United States over the lower Mississippi River Valley and, and major reductions in the west. In fact, I saw last week uh, Folsom Lake, that's one of the big reservoirs out west, came up 300,000 acre feet added 300,000 acre feet of water. Oroville at the end of last week was up 60 feet in depth. I mean, that's incredible. And some places out West have another um, several inches of rain, maybe maybe over a foot of rain still to come at higher elevations. Now the Central Valley doesn't get that much, but they're getting a lot. Some places up mm-hmm. to three or four inches in total precip. The Sierra Nevada are getting just absolutely packed with snow and they're starting to get closer and closer to some of the numbers we want to see going forward. But Who's not been getting this has been Southern Plains. It's been part of the hard red winter wheat belt. The Canadian prairie has been drier through all of this. And uh, so we need to see if this potential shift in a pattern could be um, could impact things. And so here's what it is. We've been mild here. We've been mild in Europe. We've been mild in China. All the colder has been in Russia and Siberia. We watched very carefully all last week for any hint of a change. And the hint that just kind of came out lately is that colder air that's in Russia is going to come across China. Now, this is what's going to change the pattern. That's going to take the extended jet and start to bust it up way over there. 
which is going to retract it back toward China and Japan and stop the strong onshore flow into the west. Now, if that occurs, that changes our temperature profile here. That changes our precipitation pattern here. And it's not a bad change. It is just change. Mm -hmm. And so I think that means that the end of this month, uh, you know, getting out there past maybe the 17th, 18th, 19th, we should expect to see a much, much different, probably colder uh, in some places, not Arctic cold, but colder uh, and uh, maybe better chances for more snow and, and rain east, which is a place that would like to see it, whereas the West could get a break. Yeah, because I, you know, I watched the the seven to ten day outlook here for the U.S. and you know, you alluded to it, relatively dry, relatively mild east of the Rockies. I just this is feels unheard of for this time of year with how quiet the the pattern is right now. But as you alluded to, that change sounds like it's on the way here, Eric. Yeah, and before it gets there, we do have two systems we will watch east of the Rockies. So one that's going to come out mid to late this week, going to go across parts of the Midwest. It might bring some snow from like Kansas, maybe into Missouri, Illinois, uh, but some heavier rain, maybe some storms in your area, actually, and south of you. Uh, and then there's another one coming out after that. And 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 the, so in other words, it's not fully dry everywhere, but mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not what we can get this time of year. That's for certain. So uh, the question will be, when does that mild air really just disappear? And I'll be honest with you, I've been focused a lot. I mean, it's important in North America, but it's actually quite important in Europe, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what's so important about it in Europe is just what it could possibly be doing to the snowpack, like in, 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 in Switzerland or in the Alps. Because you think about it, that's kind of the source later on in spring where the waters melt and fill up like the Rhine. Could it be an early season drought indicator that we don't see a tremendous amount of snowpack in the Alps right now? I don't know. That's something I'll be watching carefully. Well, I know we are also watching carefully South America. So as we take a look at Brazil and Argentina, I know we're hearing the talk continue about the dryness and drought concerns in Argentina while Brazil still getting some of those good rains. But as you step back, take a look at everything here as we get into January, what's the latest you're seeing with South America? And does this pattern change affect South America as well? Yeah, that's going to be the tricky part because a lot of what's going on right now in South America is being driven by tropical features. And everything else I just talked about was way northern hemisphere. So La Nina likely passed its peak. It's still strong, but past its peak. The westerly winds that have been coming out of the Indian Ocean are almost gone. So that means it's just up to the trades. And the trade winds that are coming across the Pacific are still strong, but they're no longer meeting these strong westerly wind bursts. Now you're saying, okay, what the heck does that mean? Well, that means that in the near term, we still get decent rains across parts of central Brazil. It's a little drier north in Mato Grosso. They're going to be happy with that because they're trying to harvest. They want to harvest fast, get the Serena crop in. No major issues seen there yet. But because of another factor in the southern hemisphere, we call it the Antarctic Oscillation. Okay, It's just a pressure pattern across the southern hemisphere because it's still positive. Every time we see the models attempt to forecast rain for Argentina, closer you get to that time period, they keep backing off. And it happened again. So we're looking at another seven to 10 days of drier conditions in Argentina. And uh, I mean, this is like pushing them through the hardest summer with very, very dry conditions. So the result is, is that we don't have anything beneficial coming in there, which is going to continue to make that a story. So Brazil is doing fine, most of it, and Argentina is the place that's struggling. Well, Eric, you mentioned La Nina there too. And with this pattern change coming, and you mentioned La Nina probably hitting its peak are we going to see that flip to an El Nino type weather scenario? What are we seeing there as we kind of get into this first part of the new year? 
Yeah, it's fading. La Nina's fading. And, and, and will we see El Nino return? Well, his history would tell you that normally after strong La Nina's, the pattern just doesn't go back to normal. It tends to over, kind of overshoot. And if it does, we could be talking a whole lot more about El Nino come late spring and summer. Um, you know, it takes a while to transition, but it could mm -hmm. and do it quite quickly. Uh, but before that, we'll bring up that other, you know, dirty phrase in atmospheric sciences called the polar vortex. We're actually watching it potentially be disrupted here over the next seven to 10 days. And that could be a story for February. So even before we see that La Nina lose its full grip and El Nino conditions possibly returning, we'll be talking about the rest of, a, of a, what could be a pretty tumultuous February and early March. Well, hopefully that's not the case. I don't want to bust out the uh, the long johns and, and the heavy jackets again, but we'll uh, I'll obviously keep that in our uh, in our view and keep that on our minds. Eric, uh, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us here this week, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, sounds good. See you later. And again, we always appreciate his time and analysis. That is Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien joining us here today on Market Talk. Coming up next, market analysis and more with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Back with more Market Talk of the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. As we take a look at Monday's trade action, starting off a new week, a report week in front of us here, we saw mostly mixed action after it was all said and done and the dust cleared on Monday's trade, lower in the grains, a little bit higher in livestock. Here to walk us through the trade and uh, provide analysis on the show today, we bring in our good friend Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, Happy New Year to you, buddy, and uh, congratulations. Go Jacks. I know you're mm. a big SDSU guy uh, winning the national title on Sunday. Yeah, that was a whole lot of fun yesterday. There was a lot of football yesterday and <laughs> in the weekend. And yeah, it, it was that was a good game. I was very happy to see them do that. Of course, NSU is, you know, the, the mm -hmm. pinnacle and you know the top of the mountain that everyone tries to be. So to to actually come back this year, beat Montana State in the semifinals, who beat us out last year in the same spot, and then to beat NDSU was kind of a kind of a storybook ending for us. So I, yeah, I, I like the way that one went today. And no, got up and was able to do markets today, so I didn't even celebrate that much. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to slight our NDSU listeners. They had a great season, uh, and oh, it was a really it was a great game. And as you mentioned, they're the pinnacle of of yep. the FCS there. So uh, it was a, it was a fun game on Sunday for sure. And again. Congrats yeah. to SDSU on their first championship win. All right, football aside, we got to talk markets. And, and you know, last time we talked to Wayne was well before the end of the year. There's been quite a bit that's happened, uh, you know, and coming in here this week, we got a January report coming up on Thursday from USDA, typically a very big report. You know, it's going to be an interesting week, but Monday's trade kind of just – fell off the cliff a little bit. We were higher through the overnight, kind of mixed to higher all day in grains, and then by the end, we're down a little bit. I mean, what happened, yeah. Wayne? What do you think? I, I think you almost got to think back, like you said. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked of what has happened in those the, that time frame. You know, we, we ran up during the holiday sessions on that lighter volume, uh, it really no bears to speak of. We had a hot, dry Argentina forecast. We ran up to some really nice highs and came into the new year then and corrected all that last week, even though Argentina is still hot and dry. So, and it's almost like the positions or the market just squaring up positions. Let's see this January report and 
maybe see what how the Fed acts this year and some of this corporate earnings we're going to get in January, and then we'll trade from there. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of what set the table for today. And then over the weekend, you know, the forecast came out hot and dry for this week for Argentina, but the midday run you had mentioned, you know, turned out just a little bit wetter you know, for the extended forecast for Argentina. So that maybe took the top off this market, but I'm a little disappointed in corn and soybeans today. The hot dry forecast for this week, I would have thought we'd have, you know, maybe beans up 15, corn up five to seven, and bean has never even got there today. And yeah, maybe we're position squaring for this big report on Thursday, but I'm like, gosh, we're doing that Monday morning, Jesse. It's going to be a long trading week. Yeah, you are exactly right. Well, yeah, we were talking off air before we jumped on about that midday model run for Argentina. I mean, outside of that and and maybe, like you said, a little position squaring, just a lack of fresh news in this market. So then, you know, maybe some of those items take a little more weight here in this trade. And I'm with you, though. A bit disappointed in quarter beans uh, on Monday and just interesting is you alluded to a lot of uh, a lot of fund liquidation last week getting into the new year and getting out of the holiday trade and you know it just it made for a rough week last week and now here this week I, I'm with you it feels like we're just kind of squaring up and could be fairly quiet here going into the report right and there's one more thing we are seeing quite a bit of is, is farmer selling. Uh, yeah, you always see that going into January. It's actually, I think, the second largest month when it comes to total grain sales by producers. And, you know, and probably especially this year, there was not a lot of grain sales at the end of 2022 calendar year because there was pretty good high sales for the most part of the year. So we're kicking the income to the next year. And and weather's okay now after the Christmas storms, the guys are moving some grain. We talked a little bit in this office this morning about the higher interest rates. And how that changes, you know, if your line of credit is now seven or eight percent, man, if you're hanging on to grain and be, and have a line of credit, well, geez, you need a significant rally just to pay for that interest cost. So, you know, if producers are going to call me and ask me what should I do, even though I'm generally friendly to the market, I'm going to say, yeah, I should go ahead and sell, and we can always buy it back later. Don't pay those high interest charges. Well. All that farmer selling last week is put pressure on this market. Now, a couple of weeks ago, once we saw March corn dip below 650, we saw those commercials come in as big buyers. And I want to say they're going to do it again. But if farmers are selling, then they don't have to be buyers on the board. And you know, last week managed funds were big buyers in corn, or at least decent buyers. So I like seeing that as you know, we get in the new year, they obviously feel that corn's got a good base underneath it. But yeah, if we got that farmer selling in here, it's just going to be tough to rally. But let me also say, if, if we sell a bunch of that grain now, you know, you could have that significant rally in spring and summer if you can wait that long because farmers won't have the grain to sell to stop a market on a rally. So, but yeah, I think farmer selling is also part of it, this position squaring we've seen the last two weeks. I'm glad you brought that up because my mind was going to go there too during our discussion. Just, you know, we get to that new calendar year. And as you alluded to, moving some of that income to 23 at, at still yeah. very good prices. And, you know, I, I look at where this market sits now after Monday trade and thinking back to before the holidays, pretty much where we were before the holidays. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. below 15 in, in old crop beans or, and corn, 650 mark, wheat, you know, it's doing wheat things. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, okay, we had that roller coaster ride. Maybe you took advantage of something during the holidays before the sell-off last week, but we're right back to where, where we were before Christmas, Dwayne. I know. And, and you know, that lack of 
lack of fresh demand. We didn't see any export sales announcement this morning. You know, soybeans we're seeing some every once in a while. The weekly export inspections report is still lackluster for corn. So every time you don't rally, I understand, you know, some of the bearish stories on corn is going to be just lack of demand. And, and we'll see if USDA trims demand as much as people anticipate this week. Um, you know, maybe I've heard people talking 50 to 75 million bushel cut in uh, um, corn exports and, and maybe some cuts in ethanol. And yeah, as a, yeah, lackluster demand. Well, we should have lackluster demand when we're at 650. And I'm glad you mentioned the higher prices. You know, I, everyone knows I'm generally the guy who's friendly to the market, maybe not crazy outright bullish, but friendly. I feel like we got support underneath the market because of the tight stocks, old crop stocks. But as producers call and if they start talking to me about like, geez, I'm running my spreadsheet and I'm looking, this is a lot of profit potential here. You know, we protected it last year for a while. We got out of hedges. Now the market's rallied here. If they're itching to sell, boy, just I don't stop them because they, they're looking at great profit potential here. And, you know, that's who needs risk management if you've got enough money already made that you don't need it. So just go ahead and sell. So that's fine, too. So like I said, just a lot of farmers selling, a lot of uneasiness here, putting pressure on these markets. We need some sort of new story for the bull like me. I mean, I need the drought in Argentina to continue or, or to expand in Brazil or God forbid China step up and start buying some of our grains that would really help but I still think this Argentina drought is worse than we're anticipating here and the production cuts will continue to come and that'll support the soybean and soybean meal market moving forward. Thinking of stories too in the market I'm not saying this will happen I'd love your thoughts on it here but just some of the protests in Brazil over the weekend yeah. I think that could if it continues on and lingers on could that affect Brazilian exports in some way to China? Would that send China back to us? I don't know. That's totally conjecture at this point. But, you know, thinking mm -hmm. it's going to take some sort of story like that, I, I think, to really feed the bull here in these markets right now, Dwayne. Well, right, because Brazil is going to have a huge soybean crop compared to last year. South America in general, year over year, will be bigger. You know, remember last year they had a drought in both countries and it really pulled it down. But you're right, you know, when we saw this election happen and as close as it was in Brazil, we knew there was going to be riots and protests. And, and sure enough, that's starting to happen. You can pretty much guarantee, you know, harvest is starting in Brazil. After a while, it'll be, you know, truckers blocking roads and, you know, we can't get the soybeans to the. So that's probably a story that probably does come up, Jesse, and rallies the market. And we're not going to be able to shift demand over to Argentina to buy beans because we're already starting to count on Argentina's going to have to buy some beans from Brazil just to keep their crush plants going. So, yeah, that's probably a story that does happen. And I'm not as worried about the Brazil crop size. I mean, I am, but. Man, that's an old story, Jesse. I mean, we mm -hmm. instantly, when Brazil started planting these acres, we went, well, that's going to be, you know, 150 million metric tons. So we're already there. I, I'm not, I think it just gets trimmed down. But yeah, there could be a story of like, will they get it out? Eventually they will get it out. But there's going to be some trucker strike. And we got to remember this new president, he's not a huge fan of Brazil, not Brazil, of uh, China. So there could be years down the road where China's not thrilled with Brazil and they're coming to buy from us too. I think the bigger story is that China coming out of their COVID lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that means a, a spike in uh, COVID cases right now, but you know, eventually they get back to living the way they used to be. I think their protein supplies are fairly low and they may have to buy some beans from us come spring, summertime anyway, even with a big crop out of Brazil.
Well, again, we are having a conversation here today with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing, and we're going to continue that conversation here coming up on the other side of the break. We're also going to take a look at some of the closing numbers in Monday's trade action. Again, mixed to lower in grains with higher action at cattle and hogs. We're going to talk about that and more coming up here as we continue with more market talk of the way right after this. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Jesse Allen with you in studio. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, is our guest analyst here on the program today. We're going to get back to our conversation with Dwayne coming up here in just a minute as we'll continue to discuss uh, the grains a little bit. Livestock trade as well. Had a fairly good day on Monday. I want to talk about that and more coming up here before we wrap up the program. Want to take a look, though, at the closing numbers from Monday's session. Again, we lost our momentum in the grains as we got to about midday closing mostly lower livestock had a good day final numbers cord for march was down one and a quarter 652 and three quarters july corn down one 647 and a quarter new crop december corn down three quarters at 590 and a quarter soybeans for march down four 1488 and a half july beans down six 1495 at three quarters new crop november beans down five and a half 1391 at three quarters on the day monday soybean meal for march down 730 a ton 470 30 front month january down 640 a ton 496 70 bean oil march up 18 points 63 front month january bean oil was up 18 points as well 6391 in the wheat market, March Chicago wheat down two seven forty one and a half. May down one and a half seven fifty. July Chicago wheat one lower seven fifty five and a quarter. Kansas City wheat March three and a half lower eight twenty eight and a half. May down two and three quarters eight twenty five and a quarter. July KC wheat down one and a quarter eight twenty two and a half. Spring wheat finishing higher slightly. March up quarter petty nine oh two. May Minneapolis spring wheat one and three quarters higher eight ninety seven and a half. July up two. 892 and three quarters. Oats for March down five and a quarter, 339. May oats down five, 338 and a quarter. Canola uh, for March down 10, 30, 858.60. Look at the cotton market real quick as well before we do livestock. Cotton up 54 points in March, 8622. Now over in the livestock trade, February live cattle up 97, 157.75. April live cattle up 85, 161.52. June live cattle up 90, 157.45. August live cattle up a dollar on Monday, 157.52. 
Feeder cattle, January up 92, 183.62. March up 65, 186.30. April feeder cattle up 80, 190.62. May feeders up 97, 194.50. And in the hog market, we saw February up 52 at 80.80. April hogs up 115, 90.80. May hogs up 125, 97.75. June lean hogs were up 175 at 106.45, and July hogs were up 192 at 107.90 on the day on Monday. So overall, livestock seeing a good day on Monday with some moderate strength while grains fell off their highs as we worked through our trading session on Monday. So a bit of a disappointment in the grains on the day on Monday. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing, is our guest analyst here today. Dwayne, as we look at the uh, January report coming up on Thursday, and you know we were talking just where some of these price levels are at here currently, thinking of all the farmers selling we've been seeing, been hearing about. For those who maybe haven't sold, they're just kind of saying, oh, I want to see what the report looks like. What would you recommend to them ahead of this report? Should they be looking to lock in some floors here just to protect any downside risk because i know some of the pre-report estimates i've seen lean a little bearish but then again who knows what we'll get from usda on thursday Dwayne? yeah it's really going to depend on the individual and the risk tolerance they have you know younger producer that you know is lucky enough to still have his grain but like he said maybe he's got a line of credit that's out there oh man i'm going to push pretty hard to you know, maybe even weekly put options or you know, an option for next month just to get through the report. I've always been big on the weekly options during USD reports. They've gotten more expensive lately because you know, more people look at them for one and the volatility of the market. But to spend 10 to 15 cents on some sort of weekly option in a report that could move the market limit one way or the other is, is just smart risk management. So, you know, for that younger producer, absolutely, you know, an older veteran of the trade and traded markets for a long time and farm for a long time, you know, one of those guys that probably has money in the bank and grain in the bin, he can probably just go through it without any risk. Cause I, I am that friendly that, you know, we're getting all these, you know, sell stories, you know, farmers selling great crop in Brazil, and we're still not really crashing this market, Jesse. It just, it doesn't make my bullhorns grow, but it does make me at least a little bit more friendly. If I can just go through this, I really think come springtime, you know, I, of course, I'm looking at a huge snowpack out here in the Dakotas again. Mm -hmm. If we have some prevent plant acres, we could have issues. I know that probably sounds silly to so many people out there because we went into the winter so dry. But I don't know. Here where I am, a drought is done really quickly. And all of a sudden, we have problems getting the crop in the ground again. And everyone's, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's going to be an acre battle, Jesse, I think. Mm -hmm. And it could be quite interesting. And we might see the start of that on Thursday when they announced the the total winter wheat acres planted. If they were higher than normal, well, or higher than anticipated, that's just less acres for corn and soybeans then. Well, and if they were higher than anticipated, the other caveat to that is how poor of a start that winter wheat crop has had this year. I mean, those ratings are just not good, Dwayne. No, that's just that even if uh, the winter wheat acres are one to two million higher than the trade is anticipating, okay, that should be bullish corn and soybeans right away. And then we're going to go back to talking about, but it's crap and we're going to disc it up and plant corn and beans anyway. So mm -hmm. we're, we're going to keep the stories flowing here in 2023. I know today, you know, for me, the market feels a little bit quiet and dead. We didn't move anything, but oh, it's, it's going to be a volatile son of a gun this year. So buckle up, I guess. That's good advice. I would agree with that. Let's move over to livestock, Dwayne. Cattle, hogs, fairly strong showing on Monday. Uh, it was a, a rough week last week throughout the uh, protein sector. I know demand has been dismal there. 
But you look at cattle, you look at hogs, overall this protein sector, I'd say start with the cattle market. I mean, what are you feeling here as we get into this week here and really start to sink into the month of January? I, I really still like the cattle market. Yeah, you're, like you said, we had to pull back a little bit last week. Cash cattle trade fairly heavy volume on Friday, but a little bit lower than the week prior. That always disappoints the market a little bit, you know. But you also look back to a report we had last week, the the weekly weights report. Slaughter weights were down substantially. So that the storms we've had, these recent storms really kind of took their toll on the cattle. So they're not finishing quite as heavy as we want. But you know, you also get to a week and a half ago when you're at the high price levels we are, well, feedlots will tend to move the cattle pretty fast too. So had the dip in the market, but I really like the trade response today. We had a really light volume profile area around 160 and a half in April cattle. And I felt like we just had to go back and fill that area a little bit. We didn't really fill it too much, but we touched it and we generated more buyers again. So I think that's a sign of a bullish market that just had to correct a little bit of the overbought position, pull back to that 20 day moving average, fill that volume profile and really kind of go up and away here today. Everyone would love to see an up limit move all the time, but we just can't have up limit moves all the time. So now this was a good market, uh, strong market feeder cattle, the same thing. I think, you know, once we get the snow out of all the feedlots like we did last week, now guys are in there buying and now these sale barns are going to have some big runs and I think the prices are going to be very good. So look for that market to stay strong too, unless corn takes off on Thursday. So that. It's another caveat there for the feeder cattle market. But yeah. I, as bullish as I am this cattle market, Jesse, I am looking out to next year, you know, September, October, November feeders, this 207 to 210 area. You know, there's some LRP insurance. There's put options. I know, you know, they can get fairly expensive, but the guys got to remember you're 20 or $30 above where you sold your calves if you sold them in November. So, and that was a good price when you sold them in November. So mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with locking in the, we talk about risk management a lot. That's just smart risk management. Who cares how bullish everyone is? That's just a price worth locking in there or just protecting at least. Definitely. Hog market, I know this February contract, we've taken plenty out of it. It's been at a big uh, premium to the cash index. What What's your thoughts on hogs? Decent day Monday, but I'm, this hog market's been under just a lot of volatility as of late. It, it sure is. Man, that thing, we, we drove down to 82. We spike up to 92, and I'm scratching my head wondering why we're that high. And, well, boy, we couldn't get through that resistance. And you're right. You know, the, the cash hog market is quite a bit lower than the February contract. So we've had to drop sharply to correct that. We dropped for, what, seven sessions in a row until today's mm -hmm. session where we're up a little bit. But uh, it still doesn't look like a very good session to me. Um yeah, we had some triple digit gains. It sounds good, but I don't know. This market's pretty tough. We Exports have been good for about three weeks in a row. So mm -hmm. I do look for that to continue to help. But right now in the short term, the weights actually increased a little bit on hogs or they stayed it's the same around that 290 for the slaughter weights. That's just a little heavy. You know, it, actually the storm's kind of backed up hogs, I feel like. So maybe a little bit more production there. You know, they're all inside. So it's not like the weather really hurt the hogs that much. It just mm -hmm. hurt transportation. So it's a little opposite effect of the cattle. So still a little bearish this hog market. I just... Don't have a lot of good to say other than the solid exports, which eventually will help. And U.S. dollar made a seven-month low today. So I, that's kind of where I'm disappointed that grains can perform better. So keep that dollar going lower. Everything will help eventually. Very true. Dwayne, real quick before we let you go, any final thoughts you have for us today? Yeah, you know, I, I think we should see a rebound tomorrow in the grains. Like I said, I'm obviously disappointed in the trade today. But you get that rebound if you're one of those guys wondering about selling 
feel free to sell it here. And this is coming from a bull, you know, it, it's okay to make money. You don't have to feel guilty about it. It's good profits. If you don't want to risk that January report, don't risk it because it, it's a crazy one. I, I won't have positions on myself. I'll just see what the numbers come out and, and then we'll adjust from there and have a whole different story next week to talk about. Fantastic. Dwayne, if folks want to reach out to you, get a little market advice there at Bolt Marketing, what's the best way? Yeah, well, they can just call us directly here, 605-448-2365, and they can always check us out online at boltmarketingllc.com. With that, Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing. Always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you back on the show soon. Have a great week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. And again, that's Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Thanks to him for joining us, providing his market analysis and insight here today. All right, coming up next, before we wrap up the show, we're going to take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture, including the American Farm Bureau Federation and John Deere signing a right to repair MOU. More on that and more news headlines coming up after this. Back with more market talk on the way right after the break. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again to our guest, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien, with a look at weather here as we get into the week ahead and really start to dive into the month of January. Also, big thanks to Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing for joining us today with Market Analysis. We appreciate his time and insight. And again, a big week on tap with that January World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report coming up on Thursday. And I know we're going to be talking about that, keeping our eyes on that all week long. So definitely stay tuned here to Market Talk for the latest. Well, also the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention going on in San Juan, Puerto Rico here this week. And at the 2023 convention, AFBF and John Deere announced an MOU that ensures farmers and ranchers right to repair their own farm equipment. American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall says the effort follows years of work by the American Farm Bureau. This is an issue that's been a priority for us for several years and has taken a lot of work to get to this point. And as you use equipment, we all know at some point in time there's going to be problems with it. And we did have problems with having the opportunity to repair our equipment where we wanted to or either repair it on the farm. David Gilmore of John Deere says the MOU will help farmers get equipment back in the field quickly following a breakdown. It's vitally important that we have an opportunity for American Farm Bureau Federation and industry to come together to solve issues and opportunities that we have. Machinery and equipment and the products that our customers invest in are a large investment. And the opportunity for them to maximize the uptime of that equipment and minimize downtime is an important area of focus for our organization and for the industry. And Duvall explains what farmers and ranchers can expect as a result of the partnership. It ensures our farmers that they can repair their equipment and have access to the diagnostic tools and product guides so that they can find their problems and find solutions for them. And this is the beginning of a process that we think is going to be real healthy for our farmers and for the company because what it does is it sets up an opportunity for our farmers to really work with John Deere on a personal basis. Now, the American Farm Bureau Federation hopes the MOU will serve as a model for other manufacturers. Those discussions have already begun. You can learn more online at fb.org. 
Well, USDA Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack will be in Puerto Rico this week to speak at the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention. He'll also engage in a series of events involving the USDA's commitment to fostering economic development, supporting disaster recovery, increasing the island's resilience against future storms, and creating new market opportunities for the country's producers. At various events throughout the trip, Vilsack will be joined by Puerto Rico's Resident Commissioner, Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of Economic Development and Commerce, as well as various elected officials. He'll also hold discussions with local officials, producers, and stakeholders about USDA efforts to support the country's rural communities, climate-smart agriculture, disaster assistance, and other issues important to Puerto Rico's population. He'll also meet with Puerto Rico's governor to talk about USDA and the Puerto Rican government's efforts to collaborate on supporting the island's producers and rural communities. While also Secretary Vilsack announced last week new grants and loans to boost local and regional meat processing capacity, but he also took questions on Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow's retirement plans and the speakership chaos in the House. From Illinois and Iowa to New York, Texas, and California, Vilsack announced more than $9.5 million in new grants for 25 projects to boost the nation's meat supply. The point of this is that we're looking at a creative, comprehensive set of opportunities to expand more new and better market opportunities for meat and poultry. We're going to continue to do this uh, over the course of the next several months as we uh, utilize American Rescue Plan resources. More than $223 million was announced in November alone, plus some $80 million in inspection readiness grants and technical help. Now, Vilsack also reflected on Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow's plans to retire at the end of her fourth term. I don't know of another member of the Senate uh, that has been any more successful uh, in getting uh, complicated, complex legislation through that process uh, than Senator Stabenow. She's done an extraordinary job for farmers, ranchers, and producers, and for rural Americans and for rural places. The work that she's done on the farm bills. A track record Vilsack expects will continue despite the speakership turmoil in the House GOP conference. I have great confidence that Chairwoman Stabenow will figure out a way to get to yes, notwithstanding whatever challenges there may be, whether it's the circumstances in the House or whether it's uh, disputes between commodities that often occur or between regions of the country or some of the budget challenges uh, that may be faced or demands of, of taking money from this pot or that pot, which uh, folks have concerns about, you know, it's always very difficult. And that's why she's so good. Stabenow's term is up in two years, during which she says she'll focus on securing the next farm bill. Well, the International Energy Agency released its Renewables 2022 analysis report in December, and it shows a growing global demand for biofuels. Renewables 2022 includes extensive analysis of the renewable energy sector, including developments and trends for transportation. Isabel Osdahl, manager of Global Ethanol Policy and Economics with the U.S. Grains Council, says, quote, in this most recent IEA report, total global biofuel demand is estimated to increase more than 20 percent between 2020 and 2027. World ethanol consumption is projected to rise in an accelerated case scenario, end quote. Now, she also says this reinforces the U.S. industry's recognition of ethanol's importance as a tool for countries to accelerate their greenhouse gas emissions reductions and underscores the importance of scaling up technologies like carbon capture, utilization, and storage to reach net zero carbon intensity. Now, the report details increasingly ambitious energy targets in the European Union, growth in ethanol consumption in Brazil, and biofuel blending in India. And lastly, here on today's program, cover crops are an increasingly popular management practice among many U.S. farmers. The goal is to provide seasonal living cover between their primary commodity cash crops. 
Now, farmers plant those cover crops in the fall to provide winter cover for soil that otherwise would be bare. The USDA's Agricultural Resource Management Survey says over the past 10 years, fall cover crop adoption has continued to grow on fields growing corn for grain. 0.6% of the acreage used a fall cover crop before the 2010 crop. By 2016, 5.5% of the corn for grain acreage had a preceding fall cover. And by 2021, 7.9% of corn for grain acreage followed a fall cover crop. Now, this represents a 44% increase in fall cover crop adoption on corn for grain fields between 2016 and 2021. The growth in the adoption of cover crops on cotton fields is similar, with a 46% increase between 2015 and 2019. That's going to do it for Market Talk here today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.